0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Monday Madness with the Boys, presented by Dean College Power 88.3. I'm Brett Shobbs, joined alongside Jack Clifford and Jeff Playton. Unfortunately, Will Manley cannot join us for today's episode due to some technical difficulties, but he will be back on our next episode. Guys, jumping into today's episode right away, we have quite the heavy schedule as far as football and some updates go around the league and as well as some college football news as well. So just getting right into it, let's jump right into some NFL updates. And one of the big things that really wasn't impressive going into it, but there were a couple big names towards the end of it, was the trade deadline. And I believe one of the biggest names to come out of it, and we'll just kick it right off, is Avery Williamson going to the Pittsburgh Steelers. He was traded over there, and as you saw his his Instagram the other day, he posted he was immediately ready to, Get out of New York and the Adam GaSe train and go right over from 0 and 8 to seven and 0. So um, we're definitely excited to see uh, Avery's now in Pittsburgh and he's going to be possibly competing for now a playoff spot and maybe even a championship. The Steelers can make it that far.
1: Yeah, I think that's kind of a dream come true for him. You know, like like you said, Brett, um, going to sleep 0 and 8, wake it up seven and 0. Um, and I think the Steelers definitely just added to their stacked roster, um, especially on the defensive side. You know, now they got TJ Watt. Him, um, you know, the, that team is just. I think they're they're the ones to beat in the AFC, along with Kansas City, of course. Um, so I think that was a good move by the uh, the Steelers, and just seeing like the Jets give away another player like that, it's just a total sign that they're in just total rebuild mode, and I don't. I don't blame them. They're just atrocious.
2: Yeah, before uh, the Steelers got Avery Williamson, you could say, like, the Steelers possibly had the best defense, but now they got Avery, and he's, it looks like they have the best defense. And I can yeah. see it's a Super Bowl.
1: I mean, no yeah, doubt. Close with with uh, Pittsburgh and the, uh, the Colts um, for the, the top defense, along yeah. with uh, Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay's defense is also very good. David and uh, Sue they kind of mark names, Pierre Paul. But, yeah, um,
0: big big move by the Steelers there. I would agree, and I definitely think that this Steelers defense in the past five years hasn't been really known. The Steelers team hasn't been really known for their defense in the past five years. They've been really known for their offense. Awesome. But, you know, since Keith Butler, you know, stepped up his game at Pittsburgh as defensive coordinator, all these weapons have been coming in left and right, especially with Colbert doing a good job making these signings. I mean, you see Steven Nelson. You see Devin Bush coming in, but unfortunately he's injured. Uh, Jack Spillane, I believe, is stepping in for him. Uh, you also have the likes of, you know, pretty much Defensive Player of the Year candidate T.J. Watt, Cam Hayward stepping into it. AFC Player of the Week this week. I mean, just left and right, there's guys that you can name off that have just been done done an excellent job performing for the Steelers defense. And Avery Williamson's just another big name to make this almost Steel Curtain 2.0.
1: Yeah, and I sticking with Pittsburgh, like you said, usually they're more of an, an offensive known team, but they've got some some great guys on that defense, but even their offense is still really good. You know, the the sudden emerge of Chase rookie Chase Claypool out of Notre Dame, Juju Smith Schuster doing his thing, Deontay Johnson and then James Conner, but I think the the biggest thing is, is having a, a healthy big Ben back and uh he's playing like like he did like three years ago with um, the killer bees. Um, so, yeah, I think it's it's big, big things going on in Pittsburgh. And i um, not a big Pittsburgh fan, but I am rooting for them because um, I, I respect Big Ben. I respect what they're doing.
0: All right. So the next trade that was pretty large in the deadline was Kawan Alexander going to the New Orleans Saints in exchange for Kiko Alonso in a conditional Fifth-round pick. In my opinion, this is actually a pretty fair trade. Uh, the Saints get their uh, star at linebacker and Kwon Alexander, who can make a pretty sizable impact. So far this season, 30 tackles, one sack, and one forced fumble. And Kiko Alonso, you know, when he's hot, he is actually a pretty strong performer at linebacker. I mean, he had some pretty good days in Miami. And, you know, San Francisco now gets a fifth-round pick as well, maybe some more talent to provide on offense. But in my opinion, this is a pretty good trade for both sides. Yeah, I thought it was
1: kind of weird. It was like a, a linebacker swap, um, along with the the pick. But I think it definitely helps out both teams. Um, I just think it was a little odd. Um, I think the Saints probably got the better end of that deal. But yeah, I I think it's it's a fair trade. I just think it's a little it's a little weird for like the same position to swap. Um, yeah that's my opinion on it. Mm-hmm. yeah, I
2: like this move for the Saints. I mean, they get a good player on defense, so now they have like both sides of the
0: ball doing pretty well.
2: I can see them making a deep run in the playoffs.
0: I would agree um moving on uh from the Saints, We now have the Tennessee Titans. Some actually say this might be the best trade at the deadline. Uh I'm not sure if I agree, but this is a solid deal still. Desmond King going to the Tennessee Titans. From the Los Angeles Chargers, he now takes over the number one right corner slot uh, for the injured to Dory Jackson. 24 tackles in the season and one sack. I definitely think this is an upgrade at the corner slot for Tennessee. I mean, they've been hurting in the secondary all year thus far. Um, but it could work out long term. It's just, to me, I'm not sure if this might be considered the biggest splash, as some people are saying.
3: Yeah, I
1: I think it um it's it's definitely not the biggest splash, but it definitely helps both teams and the Titans. They're second with their defense. Um, they're another another team to beat in the AFC. Um, yeah, it, it's been a, it was a weird trade deadline. There wasn't like a like a blockbuster one. Like I think a lot of people are expecting uh, to see Gilmore go from the Pats, mm-hmm. especially Sunday, the last day of the deadline, or was it Sunday? It was. I believe it was Sunday, right? I believe so. Yeah. Um anyways, yeah, I I was definitely expecting something much bigger like that um or like a Julio Jones to go. But mm-hmm. I think a lot of these trades, although they weren't quote unquote blockbuster trades, they were good fair trades that helped the teams out. Um But then we could it wasn't a trade, but how about that Antonio Brown signing with Tampa Bay? He'll be able to play
0: this week against New Orleans. I was just about to say, he signed with Tampa Bay. He'll be playing this week. And Des Bryant, now in Baltimore. Yeah. So two pretty large names and as far as veteran wide receiver corps are now on completely different teams. I'm actually very excited to watch Antonio Brown play. He actually seem like he's, quote-unquote, maybe getting his act together. I don't know if he's just playing softy or if he really is getting his act together. But... According to Bruce Arians, he looks fantastic in his first days of practice.
2: Yeah, if Antonio Brown can just keep his cool and you know be the Pittsburgh Steelers self he used to be, I mean this Tampa's
0: offense is gonna be insane. I, yeah, I, yeah, go ahead, Brett. To me, I don't know where Brown fits in this offense because you have Gronkowski, tight end. You have O.J. Howard on injury reserve. You still have Cameron Bray. Don't get don't forget him as well. But at wide receiver, you now have Antonio Brown along with Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, and Scotty Miller. Where does he fit in? is I think, he wide receiver one? Is he what is yeah. it? I think Miller's gonna be
1: out of the equation. I think this is like a top like a um a core three now. Like you said, Godwin, uh Brown and Evans. Uh, I think I can see like Brown going to like a, a wide receiver two, kind of like in the slot guy. I can I think I could see him meshing with slot. Um, especially in a new offense, he would have to learn it either way. And then you have Evans one and Godwin three uh, on the end. Um, I think he plays the, the right side of the field, Godwin Godwin that is. So I could definitely see Brown fitting in in kind of Scotty Miller's slot role. And I think that's going to be big for Brady too because we saw in New England, he's um, he loves passing that slot Edelman. Um, so I think that that's definitely going to help Brown grow in Tampa Bay. Uh, that's my opinion. I'm not really sure if that's going to happen because we haven't seen much of Brown play this slot, but I think that that to answer your question, I think if they're going to have to fit him in to get the best out of him that they can, I think that's what's best for the team.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I, mean, I would agree with you um, as well, Jack. I definitely think that throwing him in the slot um, would definitely allow him to, you know, make a smoother adjustment and, you know, get used to the coverage once again, as opposed to just going maybe right to, you know, to the outside and playing some pretty good coverage um, in defenders as well. So um, there's a possibility that he goes over to slot right away just to get a smoother transition. And I think that what Brady wanted in that AB connection actually could work in that sense, as you mentioned with Edelman as well in that comparison. Yeah. So, Let's move things uh, forward a little bit, so maybe a little more broad perspective in the NFL. And let's take a look at some sleepers, uh, some contenders, and some disappointments this far in the NFL season. And I definitely think one of the biggest ones that has been a complete disappointment, and I'm sure Mo, both of you guys have witnessed this, I have as well, the England Patriots. Um, kind of poop, to be honest with you. Um, they are 2-5 and five right now on the season, I believe is what I have. Yep. And they just lost to Buffalo for the first time since 2011 in Buffalo. Cam Newton not looking the prettiest right now as far as his uh, performance in New England. Not the best weapons as well in the Kill Harry. Julian Edelman on injured reserve right now. Uh, running game, not the best as well. Defense is hurting a little bit with everyone opting out of the season. Just all around this, Pat's team is just hurting right now and I don't know where they go from here. Do they rebuild? Do they start to get rid of guys? Do they try to go after another big name and try to stay contenders? Or do they just stay where they are? To me to me I don't know what Bill Belichick's doing right now. To me to, to me this team makes no sense.
2: So I will say this. Um the Pats do look like poop. I mean, they are <laughs> awful. <laughs> but um I'm be honest. I mean, I don't know if this is the diehard Pats fan of me, but I can still see us, I mean, almost making the playoffs because here's the thing. It's Bill Belichick, I mean, arguably the greatest coach of all time. Mm -hmm. Damian Harris has looked pretty good. I mean, if we keep utilizing him, it'll be pretty good. Yeah. Cam Newton, I mean, yes. I mean, he's been iffy, but, like, Seattle almost beat them. Buffalo, he lost a fumble at the 10. I mean, those are two almost two wins you could have right there. And almost then, two wins. Almost two wins. I mean, not wins, obviously, but I don't know. I, I think it's a diehard Pats fan in me, but. No, no, I
1: totally agree <laughs> with you, Jeff. Um, Like, the diehard Pats fan thing. But you're right. Like, they almost beat the Seahawks. It was in the last play of the game. The Chiefs game, they stuck in that game with Brian Hoyer starting the game. I just can't imagine what would have happened with Newton. Or if Hoyer didn't give us up uh, six points on the field goals that we could have uh, uh, attempted. And then the Bills game, another one that Newton uh, kind of gave away in the last play of the game. Um, but And then the Broncos game, like, we just played so bad, but we were still able to be in that game against, I'm sorry, Brett, but a poor team that the Pats have played not not anything against the Broncos, but against the teams that they played, they're kind of like a lower tier. I I I think the Bills game was a must win for the Pats playoffs hope because they got the Jets this week and that's probably gonna be a win. So they could have stuck with four and four going into Baltimore. But you know, three and five most likely going into Baltimore. I mean if they go with three and six, I think it's it's pretty much a, a wrap but we'll see.
0: Yeah, I would agree. Um, I think this week is a must-win. I mean, given the Jets as your opponent, that's basically given a win. Um, no guarantees, though, especially with this team. Um, but you definitely need a win going into Baltimore to at least have some sort of momentum slash confidence going up against that ridiculous defense and ridiculous secondary that Baltimore has. I mean, just the talent that they have is absurd.
1: Yeah, I, I think the Pats will be able to stick in that game just because of how well their defense has has played. Um, and the Baltimore offense just hasn't looked great, um especially like Lamar having like a not a great season so i I think that the pats could hang in that game, but i don't I just don't see that happening
3: uh
0: so it looks like will is joining us right now
3: yep i'm here hey, there he is just figured out I'm the here. technical difficulties.
0: Thirty two Will. late
3: never hurt anyone.
1: <laughs>
0: yep. well, welcome. We are talking about the current contenders, sleepers, and disappointments this far into the season. We are now highlighting mm. the Ringwood Patriots who've as you mentioned poop.
3: Yeah, definitely a big disappointment this season so far. Big letdown. In anyone's book, I would say, especially how mine. Your,
0: how about your Jets,
3: Will? I mean, my Jets, I never expected I didn't I wasn't expecting them to do <clears throat> much this season. I was expecting them to do much better than they're doing now, but like yeah, definitely a disappointment. Never <laughs> expect much from the Jets, but expect better than 0-8.
0: Mhm. Alright, so speaking of a team that we just mentioned a little earlier, uh, the Denver Broncos. I really don't know what to make of them. As much as I love them to death, I really don't know what to make of them. They're hurt all over the place. They beaten England, but they've lost to some other opponents that they could have easily won but to me this team is up in the air i could either see them go i could either see them go into the playoffs as the last wild card slot or i could see them lose out the rest of the season with this team you never know it, it's just it's just up in the air
3: yeah, I agree with you on that, Brett. I either see this team, you know, sneaking into the playoffs like last seed or just not making it at all. I don't think there's any in between for this team at this point. They're two all over the place this year.
0: I would I will say this. Drew Locke, not the best at the start between the injury and the underperforming. But last week against the Chargers is definitely what he needed as some sort of confidence booster going into the game against Atlanta especially facing a team where you know offense is top priority and it's going to be a shootout in that dome. So, it, it there's a possibility they go into 4 and 4 going into I believe it's week 10 yeah. that they'll be in.
1: Yeah, I think the Broncos could uh pull this one out um against Atlanta like you said. And I think Locke is, his confidence is like going to be through the roof especially after last week's win against the Chargers on his uh really great play to end the game. Um and but I think I think Melvin Gordon he's got to step up. Um, he didn't ha- hasn't had the greatest season. But Philip, I think they kind of got to utilize more Philip Lindsay. I think he's the little he's played this season. I think he's played much better. You know, going back to that Broncos Pats game, Gordon was out that game. That was Lindsay's I think his second game of the season, but his first game like as the starter, and he had he had a great game. Um, so i I don't know what to think of the the Broncos rushing game. I don't know who they can rely on because um, 'cause they're both great guys, so I think it's just a tough decision um and then with Atlanta, you never know like how atlan- how Atlanta's gonna play. They can either shoot mm-hmm. the lights out or just Matt Ryan isn't gonna show up yeah mm-hmm. so i i think I think it's up in the air for the Broncos, but I definitely could see them winning and going into four and four. Um, but that's just a tough division with the Chiefs and the Raiders, uh, yeah, in there. So it's it's definitely tough for the Broncos. But I'm I'm interested to see uh, how it goes the rest of the season.
2: Yeah, I think yes. if Philip Lindsay can stay healthy, I know he had a nagging turf toe injury. If they can utilize him and even uh, rookie Jerry Judy, um, I think the Broncos could maybe make the playoffs. But yeah, like you said, Jack, that division's just stacked with the Raiders and Chiefs and the Chargers even. So we'll see.
0: All right, so moving on from the Broncos. This team actually pretty surprising as well going into this season, and I'm very curious to see what you guys think of them as the Miami Dolphins with Tua Tagovailoa now leading them for the rest of the season. Coach Brian Flores making that decision to sit out Ryan Fitzpatrick and go with his rookie quarterback, and to everyone's surprise, um, even though I think this was because of their defense primarily, they, they almost blew out the L.A. Rams, which is pretty impressive, especially the way the Rams were playing this past season. Um, but I definitely think the defense showed up, but Tua looked pretty good in his first game.
1: Yeah, he looked all right. He For the first game, yeah, he looked good, but I think you're definitely right about that defense. But, you know, it's not all the defense that won the game. I think Tua definitely played smart for a, a good game. And I think I think the Dolphins have have a chance of making the playoffs. I even think that they could win the division. Um, yeah. I think just yeah. because the Bills have kind of been on a downslide. You know, they, they won last week against New England, but that was in a close game I think mean, it's not a great team, like we just talked about. Um, I think it's up, all up for the Dolphins. I think Brian Flores is a great coach. I really miss him in New England. Um, Yeah, and Wayne Gaskin out of the backfield for the Dolphins has been something to talk about. You know, I never heard of the guy before this season, and all of a sudden he's he's great. He's really good. So I'm excited for this Dolphins team, even saying that as a Pats fan. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I think if the Dolphins' defense can just keep playing like they have been. I mean, they're ranked seventh in the league in defense, and then first in the league in scoring defense. So if they can keep that up and Tua just keeps improving, I can see
1: them making the playoffs, like, definitely. I think Byron Jones is a really a really big pickup for them this year mm-hmm. um, from yeah. Dallas.
3: Yeah, the Dolphins are definitely a sleeper team this year. They could I could easily see them running away with this division. It's wide open. The pay, Pats are slipping. Bills ain't playing great anymore. The Jets are completely out of the picture at this point. So, yeah, I could definitely see the Dolphins running away with this division.
1: The Jets could lose the, to, like, Clemson.
3: Yeah, at this point, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised.
0: <laughs> Closer to so, the backup
3: quarterback playing.
0: Yeah, I yeah. know. That's crazy. Even the backup quarterback's doing amazing. Uh, DJ Uigaleli, uh, I believe is how you pronounce his name, he played pretty damn impressive against Boston College, and I mm-hmm. wouldn't be surprised if he does well against Notre Dame. Yeah, that's
3: yeah. a huge game. Yeah, that kid's got a lot of potential.
0: Mm. So... Now transitioning, uh, speaking of what we're talking about right now, let's transition over to some college football and some of the big things that are happening right now. I think one of the most important things that we need to talk about right now is the quarterback situation in Clemson with Trevor Lawrence out with COVID-19. Ewa Laley has been stellar in his first game, like we just mentioned. 30 for 41, 342 passing yards, two touchdowns and he averaged 8.3 yards per reception. That's a 70% completion rate. By my looks right here, that does not look like a back quarterback. That looks like a very well-rounded college starting quarterback that can make a very good impact. I mean, now that we're looking long-term, he could potentially be the starter when Trevor Lawrence uh, decides to go to the league.
3: Yeah. I think he's a very good player. Definitely can hold his own. Definitely a college starter. It'll be interesting, though, because I'm sure you've all heard the talk that if the Jets get the first pick, Lawrence is going to play senior year. So if Lawrence plays his senior year, it's going to be interesting if the transfer window opens up for this kid.
0: Yeah,
1: that's what I was just going to say. I was going to say if, if Lawrence does decide to stay another year at Clemson, um, I think that the brightest move for him would be to transfer to mm-hmm. a school that is looking for a QB because, I mean, it's been one game. But, I mean, one game as a starter and you put up numbers like that like you have a lot of potential. It's like difference between him and Tua's start. Like it was Tua's first game. It wasn't great but it was good. But this kid's first game was like insane. Like you that's like stuff you don't see like a lot from an everyday starter. Besides yeah. someone like Lawrence, that's why like he isn't the starter quarterback. Mm-hmm. But I think definitely the, the transfer window could be open for him. Um I'm I'm honestly not sure what year he's in. I'm assuming it's not his senior year, but I I'm actually not sure.
0: I believe he's a freshman.
1: Oh, wow. Okay, that's actually, like, transfer. That kid's got transfer. Or if Lawrence does um, enter the draft, then he could definitely stay in Clemson. Me-
2: yeah, this, um, this Clemson, like, quarterback situation, it kind of reminds me um, a couple years ago in Alabama, I think it was 2018, um, when they had two in Jalen Hurts. I mean, those were two, like, super good QBs for that team. So it's kind of like, you know, I'm not saying Trevor Lawrence is going to lose a spot, but like the way DJ's playing, it's definitely like they're going to be fighting for that starting
1: QB spot.
0: He is a freshman. Yeah. Yeah, that's impressive. That's very,
1: very impressive. impressive. Yeah, I don't think, I don't see them fighting for a spot, especially it being his freshman year. Right. Um, I think if they were both like juniors or seniors, I think you could definitely see some like dual quarterbacking. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think this kid's got a lot of decisions to make if just depending on what Lauren does with his decisions. Yeah. Um, I, I just don't see a tr- a healthy Trevor Lawrence being benched.
3: Yeah. Not in would, a million years. Yeah. yeah,
0: I would agree. I think Lawrence is a generational talent. I think if you were to bench him, it'd be silly. It'd be a f- yeah. foolish move. Um, especially with all of the uh, value he carries into the draft this year. Um, so I think just if you were to bench him for you I think it would just be ridiculous.
1: Let me ask you guys this, I guess I'm kind of curious So say hypothetically Burrow and, um, Lawrence win the same draft class, you don't see any Bur- Burrow in, in Cincinnati yet. You just get his LSU clips. Um, who do you draft first? You get the first pick. You need a quarterback. Are you taking Lawrence or taking Burrow? I'm
3: just taking Lawrence. You I'm taking Trevor yeah. Lawrence. I'm taking Herbert Lawrence. Really? I think I would take Burrow. I'm going be honest. I think I would have taken Burrow too. I mean, now, I think
1: I would have taken um, Lawrence. But, like, uh, after yeah. last year, I think I would have taken Burrow just because of the year that they had. And kind of, like, um, consistency um, that he had that year. And recency bias, I think I would have definitely taken Burrow. But you now, did. I think I definitely would have taken um, Lawrence. Yeah, I don't think. know. They're are two like quarterbacks that could be like running the league in a few years, along with Justin Herbert and uh, Sandy or not San Diego, excuse me, uh, L.A. now. Yeah, yeah. I
3: mean, I don't know. I just feel like Lawrence has better leadership capabilities and qualities than Burrow did coming out of senior year of college, even though he was a younger player.
0: Uh, in my opinion. I think Burrow has the, uh, excuse me, I think Lawrence has the ability to do it both ways. I definitely think he's more of a dual threat as opposed to Burrow. Um, I definitely think Lawrence has the ability to take take the ball and run with it a lot more efficiently as opposed to Burrow. As far as the X factor, I think Lawrence has it as well. Don't get me wrong, Burrow has it substantially right now, and I think he's leading the league I think he's probably got the best clutch factor in the league right now. I think as far as talent this year, it's Herbert, but I think as far as all round potential wise, I definitely think it's Joe Burrow.
1: Yeah, I think I think you're right. Um, they're just two like really good quarterbacks, but um Burrow's situation in, in Cincinnati is just kinda weird. Uh we talked about before we started the show, like the line in Cincinnati is just like it's really hard to see how good Joe Burrow is as a professional.
3: Yeah, that Cincinnati um, line's atrocious.
1: Yeah, but I think that offense is like you got A.J. Green, you got T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, uh, John oh, boy. Ross when he's healthy, Joe Mixon. He he can catch as well. Giovanni Bernard. That offense is really exciting. They just need a better line.
3: Yeah, yeah, no doubt. They have a really young, talented offense that. With the right line, could easily be a Super Bowl contender in my book. Super Bowl mm-hmm. contender. So not not oh, this year. That's but a okay. bold it's, prediction. It's, 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 you give that team the right line with the talent they got around Burrow, like needed, I could needed easily needed see defense, them. So. Yeah. We'll defense needs some work too, but they definitely got a high-powered offense if they can get some good O-line pieces. Yeah, in there. I think
1: in, yeah. in a couple of years, you know, they all yeah. to develop better. Um, and I I feel like John Ross will probably be trade bait. Soon, but yeah. I mean, he, he's not playing now, and they're still performing well with him out with Green, Higgins, and Boyd. Um, so I think they had to keep them together, and I think Green's just got to get fully healthy and play yeah. better. Um, so I I could see them in like three to five years being like a really really good team. Yeah, and that that division is just like gonna be so stacked.
3: Mm-hmm. The Steelers
1: are only going to get better. The Ravens are only going to get better. Browns, we'll see what happens. But then the Bengals are, I could yeah. see them
3: in, like I said, three to five years being the contender. Mm-hmm. I mean, A.J. Green's an interesting character on that team, I think, too, because I'm sure you've all heard the rumors circling around that he wants to get traded, or if not traded, that he's going to leave in this offseason. So it's going to be interesting to see if they can keep him on that team because he's definitely a key player on that offense.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think they should. Like, and I think he should stay. I think I mean he's he's older than Boyd Higgins obviously, so he kinda wants to go now and not wait the three to five years. Yeah. Um I could see like New England being a spot for him, but I don't really know at this point if it would be a big jump from Cincinnati to what New England is now. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. All right, if he I, does I, Oh go ahead. I don't no, like, say
1: like, he... taking a chance on Green, yeah. especially, like, with the injuries and, like, just how he's not, like, back to how he was.
3: Yeah. I was going to say, if he does end up hitting the market, I could see him end up ending up like Des Bryant when he became a free agent.
0: All right, so moving on uh, to different squad here. Penn State, very surprising, this the start of the season, 0-2, lost to Indiana, and then took the hard loss to Ohio State. They are unranked for the first time in four years. They're out of the top 25. They are now unranked as opposed to teams like Oklahoma with Spencer Rattler. Cincinnati now at number six. And it's just it, – to me, it's crazy and mind-boggling to see a team that powerful unranked. Because and I think don't it's – They not Trace McSorley. Yeah, they don't have Trace McSorley. That's, that's <laughs> definitely a big factor. Any team that of trace McSorley is no team at all.
2: <laughs> yeah, Penn State being unranked, that's just it's super shocking. I mean, like you said, Brett, they lost by one point to the number 13 seed, Indiana. Um, 13 or 14 to number three, Ohio State. Uh, I can't really remember, but that was, I mean, kind of close, two possessions. But this year in college football is just, like, really weird. It's a lot of, like, weird ranked teams. I think one of them is, like, Liberty. I mean, yeah, Liberty's 25. Yeah. That's that's crazy. i
3: never
0: hear about that school. That's
3: yeah, nuts. Liberty's 25. A lot of weird-ranked teams this year in college football.
0: So, uh, I guess going on that ranked basis, Cincinnati, like I just mentioned, at number six, they are two slots away from the college football playoff. I can't remember the last time I'd even come close to that. Yeah. To me, that's also nuts.
1: I know. Yeah. I never thought of them as a college football team. They're usually more like in March Madness with basketball. Yeah. In football, so I mean I can't really say much about them, but it's definitely very impressive to see them there.
3: I think on the top twenty-five rankings, the most interesting team we got is number fifteen, Coastal Carolina.
1: Yep.
2: What really? I didn't even know
3: that. On the top twenty-five rankings, yeah. Yeah. That's a shock. That is the sixteen is Marshall? Marshall. Yeah, Coastal Carolina and Marshall. 15, Marshall. 16. Some A very very, very shocking top twenty five rankings this year.
0: Hmm. So, I guess one of the last things we'll touch on for college football is Wisconsin and their situation. They have had to cancel their past two games due to COVID nineteen issues within the program. They canceled their Halloween matchup against the Cornhuskers in Nebraska, and they just recently canceled their Saturday matchup against Purdue. And taking a look at their next six games, they need to play six games in order to be eligible for the Big Ten playoffs. They have to play Michigan, Northwestern, Minnesota, Indiana. Wow, Iowa, and then uh, another team will be played at December 19th. But to me, this is, even if they do manage to play six games, this is looking very unlikely as positive outlooks for this Wisconsin team. They're going up against some pretty challenging opponents.
1: Well, yeah, I don't see them making the the uh, championship or the Big Ten playoffs um, because you kind of see in the NFL, like teams like Buffalo and New England get all these cases and then their season or their schedule completely flips and then they just lose the games and without a lot of practices. I can see that happening from Wisconsin, especially missing the past two games. And I'm assuming they haven't had any practices. Um, I yeah, I I just don't see, even if they play six games, like I think they could win like two of those. Like you need to practice, and we've seen it in the NFL, and who knows what it could be like in college.
2: Yeah, I mean like <laughs> good yeah. luck to that school. Just like you got to play six games, you have such a tight window. You got to make sure all the players are healthy, don't have COVID. I mean one more week without it. Or, I mean, sorry, one more week and you test positive. I mean, that makes the window even tighter. A lot of things just have to go their way. And then the opponents they play are tough. Just good luck to Wisconsin. <laughs>
3: yeah. I'm going to have to agree with what Jack said earlier. I don't see Wisconsin winning more than two games on, like, the schedule they got left if they even play these six games. I don't see them getting more than two. The guys just haven't been practicing, haven't been getting the game-time experience. You know what I mean? I just I don't see them doing it.
0: All right, so moving on to our last topic of discussion today a Monday madness with the boys let's talk about some uh some of the Boston Red Sox and what they're moving uh forward to what they're looking forward to in this off season coming up uh, One of the big things that's circling around right now, the Red sox organization is the man the manager feeling that they need to you know look into right now and as of today uh Thursday, November fifth they have to Excuse me, they have narrowed down their final two candidates to Alex Cora, their former manager, who they fired due to the cheating scandal, and Phillies executive Sam Fold. Those are the final two candidates that the Red Sox are interviewing and going through the process with. And To me, in my opinion, as much as it pains me to you know, see the Red Sox go through all the negative publicity – As far as a strategic and baseball-minded standpoint, I think Alex Cora is the better option.
1: Yeah, I think he is too, especially, like, I don't really know what his situation was with the Houston cheating scandal. I mean, he might end up in a leader in it, but he definitely knew what was going on, so that makes him a cheater, but I loved Alex Cora in Boston, and I just think it's so much of, like, a difference of, like, A.J. Hinch now getting a job compared to horror getting a job um I mean if I had to pick out of the two I would pick horror but I think it's really tough like I know some I think some fans are gonna be thrilled with it if it happens and some are not gonna be happy about it and I'm definitely on the fence like I want it to happen but at the same time I just think it wouldn't look good um but yeah it's it's just like a weird situation um it's it's really unfortunate
0: I would agree, and I definitely think that if they were to make the move to Cora, I'm just very concerned about how it's going to affect the organization. As far as you know, being in a big media market like Boston, where the spotlight's pretty much on this team 24 seven, and it's going to be very concerning to see if they if they are to hire him, how they're going to handle the situation with all the allegations that he might get, you know, all the different things that are going to be coming his way, and whether or not the team actually has his back if he's even rehired.
1: Oh, I think they definitely yeah. will. I think a lot of the guys that were part of that 2018 championship run with Cora um, are going to back him up and say this guy didn't do anything because they didn't do anything when he was in Boston. Mm-hmm. So I think yeah. that kind of like cancels out everything that happened in Houston. He went to Boston the next year and they won fair and square. That I mean, they had some investigations with sign ceiling, but those came back. I guess you would say mm-hmm. negative, um, or they weren't cheating is how they portrayed it um it's a sticky situation but i think with to answer your question i don't see the team stabbing him in the back i think they're gonna have his back on it especially guys like bogart Stevers, martinez chris sale Mm -hmm. um who were all part of that team i think it's a very interesting and weird situation for the red sox
3: Yeah, very interesting situation. And if they do go with Cora, he's definitely going to be under a microscope the whole time he's there. Yeah.
0: So moving on to the next thing in the Red Sox, Jackie Bradley Jr. was not offered a qualifying offer. And to me, this move makes sense because as we've seen throughout the years, Jackie Bradley Jr. is not at a bat at all. It's either he's red hot and he goes on a consecutive game win streak where he's batting under under 150. And to me, it's just an up-down situation with Jackie Bradley, and in my opinion, they need to move on from him and find something a little more consistent.
2: Yeah, I'm not too mad about this. Um, like you said, Jackie Bradley Jr. is a very streaky hitter. You can either turn it on or you can just be god-awful. I mean, this year he only really batted 238, but, like, it's going to be hard to replace that fielding and the arm in the outfield. I mean, that he was impeccable at that.
1: Yeah, I think it was, like, it. I'm really bummed about it. And I, I just, I would feel way more confident if they didn't trade away Kevin Pillar. I mean, despite the age, like, his bat is way better than Bradley's, and his glove is, like, around, like, the same. Like, Pillar's prime, he was probably the best fielder in the league, and he's still up there. He can still make remarkable plays like Bradley did. So I think, like, trading... <laughs> um Pilar and now not having Bradley return definitely bites them. Um But now, like, their outfield just, like, it was elite, and now, like, it's really not. Like, they got Benintendi and Verdugo. And Benintendi's not great. Verdugo's... I like Verdugo a lot. But, yeah, you don't know who's going to fill in that center field spot. Benintendi's really inconsistent, so you're going to want another guy to fill in, in left field. So, the Red Sox... Outfield is definitely on a down slide.
0: I would say the one guy that you can rely on is Verdugo. I mean, at one point in the season, he was batting three twenty. Yeah. Very solid at bat, you know, decent fielder. Listen, he's not Mookie Betts. He's nowhere near close to Mookie Betts. But for yeah. the value that you got in return, it could potentially be pretty good obviously you lost a generational talent. Let's let's get that, the elephant out of the room there. But I think Alex Verdugo in the long run could actually make a pretty sizable impact in Boston. If he plays okay. the way that he did this season every year, he has the potential to be a multi-time all-star. I mean, those are all-star numbers.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree, and I definitely see it like the passion he has for the game, not only the game, but, like, for Boston, I can definitely tell he loves being there, and he loves the team. Mm-hmm. Oh, excuse me. And, um, I think, yeah, it, it's definitely a at the moment, it's a downgrade. I mean, trading monkey bets for anyone is a downgrade. Like, the only other person I can think of is Mike Trout. But, um, I, I think it was the right move because of these contract situations. I mean, that's a whole, like, conversation that we don't have time for. But, I think definitely Verdugo is going to be the key guy along with Bogarts for Boston.
3: Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, and speaking of uh, contracts and Mookie Betts being traded away to free up all that rum, the last thing we'll talk about before we wrap up today, the big free agent out there right now, he's yet to sign, Trevor Bauer. This is very hypothetical. But now that Mookie Betts is gone, the Red Sox have the potential to make some moves to surround Sale, to surround Erod, to surround Ivaldi, And now with Martin Perez now being a free agent, they declined his six-and-a-quarter six option. Do the Red Sox have it in their cards to go and get Trevor Bauer maybe for a one- or two-year deal? I'm curious what I you guys
3: thought.
1: I would absolutely love it. And I think that would be huge. But I'm pretty sure I saw the dudes asking for 31 million dollars in one year. And I just don't think the Red Sox are going to do that. I yes. see him going somewhere like the Angels or the the Yankees. Um I just don't think the Red Sox are willing to do that. Especially cuz they have not had a lot of luck with I mean with um like signing big pitchers. Like sales been pretty good, but like David Price was not great. Rick Priscilla was not great. I mean, it's just kind of a consistency. I mean, that's just all hypothetical, obviously. But I just don't – I don't see it happening. I love it. I don't see it happening, though.
2: I mean, I would hope – I mean, we would get Trevor Bauer. He's been amazing. He's a Saigon candidate this year. And saying – let's say we do get Trevor Bauer. That would make our bullpen, like, look pretty amazing. You would have Chris Sale, Trevor Bauer – Iavaldi, Eduardo Rodriguez, if he comes back healthy, I know we had some problems in the off season. And then Tanner Hawk, the rookie. I think the bullpen would be stacked. I think that would make our team hopefully make the playoffs. So
0: yeah. I would agree. I think the I think the Red Sox starting rotation, let's just say hypothetically you get Trevor Bauer. $30 million I think is a bit absurd for someone to ask for one year. I mean, the last time I think I saw someone ask for that absurd amount of money for one year was Philip Rivers, and look what happened to Phillip Rivers. Wow. Kind of mediocre. So I think spending $30 million is kind of a waste. To me, if you're going to spend that kind of money, spread it over three or four years. Um, but let's just say Bauer slides in. You would have Chris Sale, Trevor Bauer, Nathan Evaldi, Eduardo Rodriguez, and Tanner Houck. The only thing that you need to consider as a Red Sox, you know, manager is that bullpen. Very, very rocky, you know, relief staff. Matt Barnes can't be a closer every day. Listen, he's pretty good as a setup, but in my opinion, he's not a consistent closer. So if you're the Red Sox, I think your primary focus this offseason is the bullpen and upgrading your relief staff to, you know, relieve your guys after going five or six innings a game.
1: Yeah, they need to make big changes in the bullpen. They need to sign. I like to see them sign. Um, actually, reliever of the year from the A's, Liam Hendricks, now going to be a free agent. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be a huge one. There's just so many guys that they could go after, but the bullpen is really what made them like so bad this year. I think that they could have made the playoffs at least. Um, had a better chance with a with a better bullpen because like you look at like the positional players and they're a really good team I mean, when they're healthy starting rotation they're a really good team um now with the exception of bradley leaving um it's a little different i mean not a huge difference because it was bad but on paper it is but you look at this team on paper and they're like a, like a really really good team but it's just the bullpen like it's just so bad like it's so bad and it sucks because it mm-hmm. brings down so many wins yeah, I have to agree with you
0: there. All right, so that is going to wrap it up here for our latest episode of Monday Madness with the Boys. A big thank you to Dano Songs for providing all the music for today's episode, and a big thank you to all our producers at Power88.3 for helping put this show together. For the last time for today's episode, I'm Brett Shovs alongside Will Manley, Jeff Playton, and Jack Clifford. Everyone have a great and safe night.